Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, While I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support Creative Control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support Creative Control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. I'm Bisha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. Rich Turf Fry is a gifted musician, a lyricist, rapper, producer, DJ, broadcaster, athlete, poet, and author based in Toronto, Ontario. Originally from Mount Uniac, Nova Scotia, Turf Fry traded his youthful obsession with professional baseball for hip-hop, becoming one of Canada's most ardent scholars and proponents of the cultural form. In the early 1990s, he primarily performed under the name Stinkin' Rich, releasing hip-hop music via Murder Records, and eventually became legendary as Buck 65, an award-winning dynamic lyrical force with a billion flows, an ear for inventive production, and both underground cred and a major label record deal. Sometime around 2014, Terfry went on a self-imposed exile from releasing new music as Buck 65, 
concentrating on his work as the host of the CBC radio show Drive and seemingly retiring from hip-hop. But then in 2020, he quietly re-emerged for a brilliant collaborative concept album with Controller 7 called Billy. And ever since then, his Bandcamp page has been buzzing at a prolific clip with incredible new albums added often, including 2022's King of Drums and 2023's Super Dope. In his first interview in almost a decade, Rich and I discuss his cat Kevin and our long history together, why he felt the need to step back and make space for other folks to make hip-hop music, what he kept himself busy with in the background, and his huge collection of records and drum breaks, the story of how his baseball skills once caught the eye of a New York Yankees scout, and how and why he needed to make a triumphant return to baseball, what got him writing rhymes and rapping again, working with Controller 7 and calling up Vincent Gallo, tending to his ever-expanding band camp and substack, exciting news for Buck 65 fans on the horizon, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners just like you who follow and subscribe to this donor-driven podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creativecontrol. That is the primary source of revenue for all the work that goes in to me making 800 episodes of a podcast. If you can, please support the show on our Patreon today. Thank you in advance. With additional support from Blackbird Music, a wonderful record store with bricks-and-mortar locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and very friendly staff there who will, you know, go up to them, ask them what you need. Maybe you're looking for Buck 65 music. Well, if you're in the store, they'll help you see if they, they got anything in stock. And if they don't, and you want to take matters into your own hands, just uh, head over to blackbird.ca and order whatever you want, whatever they have available in their web store they'll ship it right to your house it's just that easy who knows maybe they've got that special new buck 65 record that you've been looking for again for more information head over to blackbird.ca plus in-kind support from pizza trocadero the bookshelf and planet bean coffee in guelph ontario and granddad's donuts in hamilton ontario this is episode 800 of creative control featuring the lovely and talented buck 65 with your host me vish khana in the one solo shuffle, cousin a kerfuffle, ruffled feathers could be headed for troubled weather. With pleasure, there's places on the map that I would gladly nuke. Chew the fatty food, I'll take a break to do the patty duke. Clap your hands to the beat, because the beat make you clap your hands to the But just clap your hands to the beat, because the beat make you clap your Next I'll do an old-fashioned feather dance or freestyle Wearing Run-DMC style leather pants Hard to kill like desert plants Trash first draft destroyed a once read That every cool girl is half a boy It's gonna be a flood and surge And now I've got a sudden urge Hey Rich, how's it going? Oh, hello Vish. It's going great, thanks Nice to see and talk to you Yeah, you too It's a, a real pleasure First of all, where in the world are you? I'm down in the basement <laughs> And uh, I just um, spent... I don't know, good 15 minutes kind of cleaning up down here because it's where um, uh, the cat has his litter boxes, plural. And so um doesn't always smell the best down here. I had a fan going, then I realized it's a bit loud, so I 
had to switch that off. But beyond uh, beyond the basement, I can tell you that I'm uh, I am in Toronto. Nice, yeah. I, I appreciate that. I am a former cat owner. Uh, my beautiful cat uh, Gary passed away some time ago in Guelph, where I used to yep. live, and he had a weird distinction. We inherited him from the neighbors. Never used a litter box. Never once. Great. In the he went went outside somewhere. I assume he went to the bathroom. I've never knew any evidence of it. Huh. You just said my cat. Yeah. And then you said litter boxes. Is that right? Did I catch that correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he has some peculiarities when it comes to bathroom habits as well. And mm. so I've had to create as much area and <laughs> options for him as possible. And sometimes it feels like these two aren't enough. But so, wow. you know, it's an everyday, it's a daily operation, as the, uh, as the great guru once said. Right, exactly. Now, wait a minute. This is an indoor cat, too, I'm guessing. This is an indoor is cat, right? has zero interest in going outdoors. I can leave the doors wide open, and he won't go anywhere near. And he's getting old. And I so see. I don't know if it's his aim or what, but he's, he's not always successful in recent times he's, in, you know, making putting his deposit into the box. <laughs> I'm sorry. I won't I'm elaborate, for- but it's a whole thing. <laughs> I appreciate that. Just so we uh, commemorate uh, your cat uh, properly, what is the cat's name? Uh, his name is Kevin, and Kevin? he he's like 14 or 15 years old now, so he's getting up there. Kevin. Interesting. I, that's an interesting name. Is there an origin story for the name? Not so much. I think my ex-wife thought it was funny. <laughs> So uh, <laughs> okay, well, yeah. I think people giving uh, this is very uh, odd to me on two fronts. I don't normally go in uh, on people's uh, animal names, <laughs> and I feel like the last time I did this was with uh, the King Ad Rock, Adam Horowitz from Beastie Boys, uh-huh. and um, he told me his dog was barking there. And then uh, I, I posted uh, the episode, and a friend of mine from uh, New Jersey sent me a clip that I'd never seen before of uh, Adam. Uh, collaborating with uh, Champagne Jerry. Do you know Champagne Jerry? Not right off the top. Got a song called uh, Kevin. Oh, yeah. Huh. I'm calling, I think, Yo Kev. I think it's called Yo Kev, actually. Oh, yeah, okay. And and the chorus is, uh, I don't care what your real name is, I'm calling you Kevin. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's disparaging. So the whole thing, sorry, this is yeah. just about me and my connections and the eerie nature of my show. Sure. I man. just want to say, and, I, and I, I'll try not to gush too much, it's an honor to have you on this show. Thank you so much for making time for me. I really mean that. Vish, you and I go way back. That's true. So it's good to see you again and to talk to you. I miss the days when we used to just kind of run into each other with yeah. a little more frequency you know, kind of in a in a place of work or on the street. Yeah. And um, I know we know a lot of the same people. I can't recall mm-hmm. the first year you and I might have met, but it's a long time ago. Yeah, uh, I have a, this, this is not going to occur to you probably at all, but I was a teenage uh, person seeing uh, shows. And yeah. uh, certainly uh, in the mid-90s, uh, Sloan mm-hmm. uh, would come to town and then they would say, we we uh, work with all these other people. We have a record label called Murder Records. And then uh, uh, as a devout follower, I'd go see all the the label mates. Yeah. And you were playing a show in Kitchener, Ontario with uh, Hip Club Groove and yeah. Len. That, see, that's way back. Yeah. Yeah. That's like 94. 
four, five, something like that. Something like that. like that. Yeah, and I saw you there, and we met briefly. I'm just telling you, this is not consequential. It was like, hi, fan. And you were like, hey, how's it going? And then you, whatever, you split, and I bought whatever you had there. I bought the... I got the. I still have it downstairs. The game tight tape, and I oh, got wow, the seven yeah. inch. I got all the stuff, right? So I I collected stuff. So yeah, for me, this is a long time uh, going. And then we started to, to chat uh, when I got into journalism. Yeah, uh, in the in the two thousands, and uh, I remember I made you a videotape because you were really heavily into Tom Waits and Bob yeah. Dylan, and I feel like I dubbed you a tape of all my uh, their appearances on late night and stuff like that. I, yeah. Did I do that? I, I does that ring a bell a VHS tape? I think so and over over yonder down here in the basement there's a uh, big old um what do you call it? Rubbermaid bin filled yeah. with all yeah. the old tapes. I started to go through them recently and I thought I do not have the strength. Someday I'm going <laughs> to hire somebody to do this, but I'll bet you anything that tape's still in that bin over there. You were very grateful. I might. I don't know if I gave it to you when you were playing a show in Guelph or a Hillside Festival or something like that. You know, I know from my own experience when you're traveling and people on tour and people say, "Hey, yeah, take this thing." You're like, "Ah, sh- thank you, but sh- where am I going to put this fucking?" Anyway, <laughs> I took all that nice. stuff and I never threw anything out. Um, oh, which that's lovely. I'm dealing with that thank now. Thank you. That's very kind. Anyway, yeah, we have a long history. I'm a big fan. Uh, I want to tell you right off the top, uh, I'm having trouble keeping up mm. with your output. I Every time I go to your Bandcamp page, I feel like I have most of the things, and then I see a new thing, or that I, or I just I miss a thing. Like, yeah. I will tell you, I will confess. Well, first of all, I'll say this before I get into the Bandcamp. Super Dope yeah. is the album of the year at my house. Hey Hands now. down. Hey, well, children, adults, kids of all ages. <laughs> they know the words. They they these my my 12-year-old and my 8-year-old will rap along to the whole record now in the in the minivan. It's bonkers. They I like, love it. I like that. Yeah, it's very, and and I will say they were sad they couldn't be here to say hello. They're oh, in man. school. Well, uh, so you know, pass on my best and ruffle their hair for me. <laughs> I, I will. I will do that. Now, uh, I just wanted to say that, and I will say, I will contextualize it to say, Rich, as you might imagine, I go through lots of records in my field of work, yeah. and so does my family. If I if I want to listen while I'm doing dishes or whatever, they hear it and they make their judgments. It is unusual. It is highly unusual for a record. To stay in rotation here. I don't know what I'm. I'm hmm. I don't know how you feel about this. I just want to compliment you because it's a really important record for my family. We all love it. So I appreciate that, that, Vish, because I know you don't even need to say it. That I know, given your work, that you listen to a lot of records. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's saying something. And um, you know, I don't want to open up too much of a can of worms, but I, um, you know, its predecessor was a record called King of Drums, and I had no expectations for that. And uh, the response to that was really nice, surprising, you know, make it valid as validating as it is to hear, uh, you know, your nice words about Super Dope, and it even popped up on a on a couple year-end lists, and, uh, including, you know, some that I was su- surprised and proud to be a, a, a part of. So it's... It's weird, um, you know, but it's, uh, but it's awesome, especially, uh, you know, just sort of given the build up and the general shape of the last 10 years and stuff. So, 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm happy. It does feel kind of low key. You just seem to drop things quietly. There's no yep. PR push. Nope. As I say, I go to your Bandcamp page. If if anyone goes there, uh, these days it feels like every few weeks there's a thing. And uh, I just yeah. downloaded or bought rather all of and downloaded yeah. <laughs> all the all the uh, three drum study records. Right. They're fantastic. So yeah. I just want to get to that. Uh, I want to point this out to people. They should go to the Bandcamp page, which I've linked to in the show notes. The narrative about you, Rich, is that you've been out of the public eye for a while. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and for some of us, it feels like you've returned on the on the song Super Dope from the record. Mm-hmm. Um, you say. Ten years living in exile. Don't ask why. Classified X Files, which is great. I <laughs> yeah. guess as a fan, I'm curious. Did you actually ever take a break from music making privately um, over the past decade? Were you working in the background this whole time? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It was a little bit of a back to the drawing board thing for me in a lot of ways, and the work started with those drum study things which i only just decided to share uh at least widely recently a couple weeks ago i post posted those up on the Bandcamp thing there yeah but also you know a couple things that i could add my contract with warner was completed um so that sort of marked a sort of ending um mm-hmm. and then i decided i wanted to play baseball again and so um a lot of the energy I was putting into music uh, went into baseball. Now, like I said, I was still kind of doing stuff quietly and behind the scenes, and I was making beats for other people and blah, 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 just kind of doing things quietly. But, but yeah, I put in um, – I just decided uh, – because, you know, I laid off baseball for quite a while too because it was the biggest thing in my life when I was a kid, and um, – I got this idea in my head that I wanted to feel the feeling of winning a championship one more time. And (laughs) (laughs) I knew it was going to take a lot of work and effort if that was going to happen. And I was going to have to find a path to do it. Kevin's here, by the way. He's just rolling in, which is probably bad news. Oh, yo, Kev. He's he's, he's down there. He's probably looking to, you know, pinch a loaf. (laughs) I hope. I, I hope this is the first time anyone has taken a poop during yeah. my show, my <laughs> yeah, interview. Right. I can only hope. Yeah. Um, somewhat, somewhat recently, Keith Morris of Off took a pee. Is that so? During, yeah, he was. He said, just so you know, I have to take a pee. And I said, Keith, just to clarify, this wasn't meant to be a live stream. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Hi, Kevin. Nice to see you. Not so nice to see you if you're pooping but yeah anyway sorry about that rich i didn't know it's all right so he's yeah Yeah. he's he'll be all right and then um as far as you know kind of when i started again you know making making music that i wanted to share and put my name on i felt like i had to really think long and hard about the right way to do that because Times have changed, and in particular, things really started to change right around the same time that I was touring for the last album I did for Warner. And um, I also needed to take some time to wrap my head around, you know, the changes that were happening in the music world, music business to a degree, 
but also in the culture. And so yeah. long story short, it just has felt to me that the best and perhaps most respectful way for me to, I don't know, share music is basically just to not shove it down anyone's throat hmm. and just let it exist. And if people come to it, fine. If they don't, fine. And maybe that sounds like I'm being a little bit vague, but basically what it's about is that I think, you know, occupying space generally kind of in, in culture these days is um, something that I think ought to require a little more sort of careful consideration on behalf of basically any participant and maybe in particular if you're a white dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've come to recognize that space is extremely valuable. So I have to be very, very careful about occupying any of that space. Mm-hmm. And by and large, I have become you know, kind of uncomfortable doing so because I often find myself asking if it wasn't me, who would be in this space, who should be in this space. Right. And it's, I find it hard to justify that it should be me. If you follow mm. what I'm saying, I do follow what you're saying and I appreciate that sentiment. I will also say that hearing you on your recent records going in just, Unbelievable wordplay, unbelievable rapping. The beats are fantastic. Yeah. Obviously, speak to my aesthetic. I'm an older person. Right. I totally appreciate your sensitivity to your sense of place and taking up space, but I will tell you, representing some of your fans, that hearing your new music is so inspiring and fills me with both excitement, but also like, where has he been? Right. Like this is this is this is a talent that has disappeared like a major significant legendary talent that has been quiet. Why where did he go? Mm-hmm. So I appreciate everything you just said and I want to bounce back to a few different things. We can talk more about if you want to speak to what I just said and I, I know it was mostly just flattery but I I do there's well, a fine will, line. Let me just finish this okay. thought. There's a, I think there's a fine line between leaving space and stifling a creative voice that is necessary. And sure. uh, that's my this. I'm not asking you to. You're not saying this. I'm saying it. And I just want to say thank you for respecting other people. But I also I'm just curious what you make of what I'm saying. So two things, of, two things I'll yeah. say in response to that real quick. Before I made this decision, I consulted some of my peers Mm. and I wanted to hear what they had to say on it. And I won't name names, but some said, yeah, step back. Yeah. The other thing, (laughs) you know, I, I stopped and thought, okay, if a white boy is going to do anything and make a contribution to this right now, what is that gonna be? Yeah. What, what's where, like, what's the only thing that maybe you can contribute right now that is of value? And, um, a big part of it for me is you just basically got to wrap your goddamn ass off. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'll you'll notice that that's kind of what it's about. It's just old school, just flat out hardcore hip hop rapping. I don't have shit to say. Um, and that's very much by design because no one wants to hear my take on anything. Um, and so that's, that's my feeling and I'm going to yeah. stand by that and maybe some people will disagree. Um, but that's where I'm at. And if I have thoughts on anything, I can be just p- perfectly content to let them, you know, exist in my head maybe have conversations with friends. But part of me realizes that, you know, there's also just so much I can take like from other people too. So when I've recognized like, I don't really want to hear this from you, then I would stop and ask myself, well, why would anyone want to hear it from me either? Yeah. So, you know, but there's a little more to it than just that because you know, the part I've left out is that I've certainly gone through a serious and deep personal hip hop renaissance. Yeah. And I've gotten hardcore, like back in touch with my original roots and I have mm-hmm. fallen in love all over again with the music that I originally fell in love with. And I'm all here for just paying tribute to it. And so basically right now I'm trying to make records like the ones that inspired me by Public Enemy and Ultra Magnetic MCs and MC Shan, and I'm just basically trying to do that. I'm just basically trying to make MC Shan records right now. <laughs> I want to. I want to. There's a few things I want to get to. Don't let me forget to ask you about the baseball because that's intriguing yeah. to me, and I think there might be people who don't know the full context of what it means for you to say I was trying to get back into baseball. So that's one thing I want to jump into. But you just said a few things um, that reminded me of things I've heard on on your record. Um, And I I will also follow up to say that I have always appreciated the artfulness uh, of your work, the humor, the wordplay. I was listening to King of Drums today and something just passed by me that I'd missed before where you said that you attended Altered State University. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I hope I'm quoting that correctly, but it just made me laugh. Like that's just little things like that is, is that substantive? Is clever, funny stuff substantive or considered substantial in this day and age? Not for me to say, but it moves me and makes me laugh. Yeah. And I like your wordplay. So I want to ask you about something real quick, though. There are more than a few moments, I think, on recent songs where you seem to allude to the late 80s, yeah. early 90s. You talked about your hip-hop renaissance. On yeah. Breach the Wall of Smoke from, from the album Super Dope, you say... You're pushing a wheelbarrow. I lower the pen, and it's like 1992 all over again. I'm postering them, etc. Right. So that kind of shit is really funny to me, Rich. Yeah. I'll tell you that right now. But yeah. I, I'm just curious about this reflective mode you're in, this renaissance you're experiencing, because to me, it doesn't seem nostalgic necessarily, and it seems more about like reasserting yourself. Yeah. Getting in touch with the power source that yeah. first fueled you. Right. To become a hip hop pioneer, I guess I. How would you characterize, in your own words? I know I've asked a leading question, but how would you characterize, in your own words, the way you're kind of looking back on this culture and your role in contributing to it? Can you speak to that? Yeah. Now, the answer to that could get a little long, and I hate when I get long winded. So I'm going to try to be somewhat concise. With this, but a big part, like it all kind of started years ago when I moved, moved house. And when I move, it's a big, difficult job in particular because of the record collection. 
And um, so I love it and hate it at the same time because physically the labor involved in moving my record collection is it's painful. But I also love it because it puts me back in touch with my record collection in an intimate way because ultimately I have to reshelve them one record at a time. And um, when I did that the last time, which was, I don't know, I want to say, let's say 2015, 2016, something like that, I've lost track. Something just really sparked in my brain. And it sent me down the path um, that ultimately resulted in the drum study thing um, that yeah. you mentioned that I have up on my band camp. A big chunk of my record collection, and this is going to sound completely esoteric to a lot of people, especially anyone that's not a like super deep hip hop head, um, but it's, it's drum breaks. Mm -hmm. As a hip hop beat maker, the foundation of my work has always, even through like the weird major label years, was always drum breaks sampled off old records because for as long as I've been doing this, I recognize that as almost a sacred thing. That was kind of how hip hop started. And mm -hmm. so to me, it, it felt almost borderline sacrilegious to not have that as the foundation of your music. So I've always had this large collection of drum breaks that I've built up over many, many years. But I essentially decided as I was going through my record collection that I should start a mission to basically acquire every drum break ever recorded. <laughs> and I went really deep and this took years of research, but I went super deep to first just try to find like identify every one. Now that's probably not possible, probably never get complete knowledge of that, but that's the quest and I think of it as a noble quest, just try. Yeah, yeah. And um, what I've concluded to this point after now essentially, you know, three and a half decades of work into this is that when I put all the knowledge together that I have and the people that I look up to who I work with on this and who help me and stuff is that really there's probably, I mean, I know of about 6,000 Somewhere maybe between six and seven thousand. And when you think of a record collection of six thousand records, it's not that many. That's pretty big. But I mean, I know guys with twenty five thousand records sure. in their record collection. Yeah. So I thought it's not out of it's not completely unreasonable to think that you could just build that as your record collection. I could still fit that many records in my living room and have it to try to be as almost a complete collection of them as possible. Mm-hmm. And so the next sort of logical thing for me was to um, really get into and participate in the community because there is sort of a community for this thing. Yeah. And it has gathered in different places over the years, but in, in most recent years, it's on Instagram. Mm. So I just started following all the other quote unquote beat diggers, like crate digger guys. Mm-hmm. And I was learning stuff from them, and I was getting inspired by watching what they were doing and what they were sharing, and then ultimately decided that I wanted to participate and, and contribute to the community, to give back to it a little bit. And so I don't remember what year this started, but I started posting videos years ago. Every week, it would be a one-minute mix that would usually uh, include seven records, and it would be seven drum breaks, and I would compose them. I would make a little composition, seven minutes long, 
I would run the drum breaks together and then I would sort of um, decorate that composition with little, you know, samples and snippets of basically hip hop history, in some cases, contextualizing the drum break that I was showcasing. So, for example, if a tribe called Quest sampled this particular record, maybe I would add a little sample from that tribe thing to make people go, oh, yeah, right. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I have been doing that every week for many years now. And um, in the process, and for the longest time, my account was private. Um, and I would only, you know, kind of take someone in, you know, you'd have to be invited in basically. At first, I was very, very precious about it and thought, this is sacred info. It's not just for anybody. And um, over the years, really found myself deep into it where I was attracting, you know, like a, a lot of the kind of heaviest hitters from around the world and kind of suddenly found myself in a whole new peer group. And so, A, having the these new peers, but also getting really deep into the essence of hip-hop with the drum breaks and contextualizing them proved to be kind of even more inspiring than I anticipated it being. And it just, it's almost as if I've been doing like some sort of master's thesis on it or something for years. Hmm. Huh. And I've, you know, I've put an insane amount of work into it. Yeah. And so after a while, as I'm just doing this and I'm putting these compositions together, of course, ideas would just pop up in my head. It's like, oh, I could, I could do something with, with that right there. <laughs> you know, and I'd hear a, I'd hear a drum break that was just like too irresistible, just thinking, I got to make a beat out of this. And so, like I said, for years, it would just be like, some guy would email me and say, hey, do you got a beat for me? Or I'd reach out to someone else and say, hey, I, I got a beat that I think would work for you. Mm. Um, so in a lot of cases, it was one-off songs. In other cases, kind of like full albums, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. And I was often saying, don't credit me. I don't, you know, I don't need or particularly even want to be credited. Like, I, I don't need it. Just do your thing and it's fine. And, uh, I, you know, well, well, why, why not take a credit? Um, you know, I guess partly just going back to what I was, you know, saying earlier about, you know, space, taking up space and stuff like that. And also just kind of not wanting to complicate things because dealing with that, all that stuff, uh, I've found is a major pain in the ass and I hate talking about money with people. Oh, right. I just rather avoid it. In, in most cases, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's ugly and it's uncomfortable. It's just like, you just take it. I'm not, you know, what, what, I'm not doing anything otherwise anyway. Um, you know, and I know basically no one has any money, you know, as yeah. I've been doing all this work through the years, I've read so many stories about like all my idols who had bad record deals and yeah. never made a cent and they're all living in poverty and stuff. And I thought, yeah, no, no one's got any money, so forget about it. I feel like that um, hip hop, that hip hop evolution series, yeah, highlighted some of that. We we're like, oh, they're just, you know, they have whatever an apartment or whatever, but it's, yeah, 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 yeah. it's that sucks. Yeah, it sucks. And so I thought, you know, I just want to, I don't know, not suck, and just like I just, <laughs> I, I just wanted to keep everything positive. You know, like let's just sure, yeah. let's just let this feel good. Um, and so 
that sort of sent me on a little bit of a track. And then COVID happened. And of course, COVID's been a a factor for everybody in the last bunch of years. And so through the winter of, you know, I guess it was 1920 or whatever, 19 slash 20, I mean, and 20 slash 21. Oh, I'm sorry. In this century. I don't know. You said 1920 and I was like, oh, we're going back to the Spanish flu. What's happening right now? I get it. Yeah. 2019. 2019, 2020. Yeah. I, like a lot of people, was working from home. And, you know, winter months, I'm not leaving the house at all. Yeah. And my house is set up in such a way, and I think this is fairly common, where my living room is in very close proximity to the kitchen. Uh Uh-huh. And it's just a little too easy to get up off the couch and walk six steps into the kitchen and grab a snack. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, the old COVID-15 or whatever people were calling it, uh, you know, it's well documented. People were getting chubby. Right. You know, over over kind of, you know, the lockdown months. And I don't know if I was getting chubby, but I was recognizing that I was snacking my way through my days way too much. <laughs> yeah, sure. It was just yeah. too easy in a moment of downtime. Like, ah, what else am I going to do? Like, I get up and you just walk to the fridge. And I thought, this is not healthy. Yeah. I need something to occupy my time. Right. And so I just started making beats, like lots of beats. And then, uh, you know, I just, I could do nothing else. And I was developing the beats and developing the beats. And then I thought, what am I going to do with this stuff? And so um, then I just, you know, I just, it kept going. I I made all these beats and it was still only January or February. I was still, I I knew I had like a lot of... (laughs) cold months to go. So I thought, well, you know, you're feeling inspired. Why don't you go ahead and write to this stuff? Yeah. Long story short, I recorded a whole bunch of songs for various projects. This isn't just King of Drums. This is, you know, the Last Dig uh, album that I did with uh, with my friend Dane and, and some other projects as well. And um, then I said, okay, I have an idea. I am going to basically make an album and then I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to find a place where I can buy blank tapes. And I remembered being in a shop in Prince Edward County, Ontario that had them. And I thought I'll go back to that shop and they had a whole bunch uh, and I'll go and I'll buy a big stack of them. Hold on here. Can you show me this? Still have... Still have a bunch of them that I bought from this store. Oh, yeah. Just assorted, you know, no particular... These are, these are, for those who can't see this, this is a cassette. These are cassette tapes. Yep. Uh, audio cassette tapes. Got it. Old school cassette tape. And it wasn't a box. They were just all, you know, assorted, just one, <laughs> one a piece, whatever, 50 cents. Just would yeah. buy them all up. And then I made a list. And uh, I know you're going to have a problem with this, Vish. I can anticipate it coming. But I thought, who would like to hear this? that I can think of off the top of my head. And I came up with 12 people. Okay. And I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make 12 dubs of this album, and then I'm going to get yeah. everyone's address, and that'll be it. The 12 tapes. Oh, I, I see. You're saying I would be offended that I wasn't part of the, the Dirty Dozen here? I, no, I'm not offended. That's fine. No, not even necessarily specifically that. Just, you know, oh, come on, 
more than 12 people would want to hear what you were oh, doing. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, there's that part, too. Yes, of course. Yes, I mean, yes, yes, who yes. am I to say? Yeah. I don't know. There's no necessarily <laughs> no proof of that. But anyhow, uh, so the first person I sent a, a, a copy of the album to was my friend Tommy. He lives in sort of the San Francisco Bay Area. He goes by the handle Controller 7, yes. is that Tommy? So I yeah, had yeah. already done a bit of work with him. We made an album called Billy together, and uh, he had been, Brilliant. you know, we Brilliant had- Brilliant album. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So we had yeah. been kind of doing stuff and had been talking regularly anyway, so I knew he'd be interested in kind of what I'd been up to. We had just done some other work together. I sent him the uh, album, and I can remember the night clearly when he texted me, and he he just basically pleaded with me. He's like- Please don't do this. Like you, you have to do more with this than just twelve dubs on cassettes. Like, <laughs> and I can help you. I can find a home for this, and it can be whatever you want. Whatever you want to do, you, there are going to be people out there who would be willing um, to do exactly what you want with it. Yeah. And I didn't say, "Oh, okay." I said, "No, no, 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 no." And he kept saying, "Yes, yes, 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 yes," and eventually. You know, he wore me down and we mm -hmm. found a home for the record. And I basically had to say to this guy, I said, look, I'm going to be the worst guy on your label because I'm not doing anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going on social media to tell people that this exists. I'm not touring, not going to play any shows. I'm not going to do any press. I'm not doing anything. So if right. you're happy to just put it out and I might add, we have to limit this to like 200 copies because on top of everything else that I could say about it, my worst nightmare would be for you to have hundreds of unsold copies of it grow in mildew in your basement. Sure. So let's just keep it a real small run for those who really want it. It'll be there. And then that's kind of it. And I'll admit you know, my weird collector fetish guy kind of entered mm -hmm. into that, too. I have records in my collection where only 200 ever existed, and those are real prizes of my collection. I like those yeah, kind of records. Got, I've got those, too. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, hard, you know, there was a serious nerd aspect to this uh, whole quest as well. Anyway, like I said, I didn't want that to be long-winded, and it was. But that's that's the path. It just kind of started with getting reacquainted uh, reacquainted with my record collection, wanting to expand on it, and then going deep, and then it, and then it brought me here. Yeah, but it, to me, and I really appreciate all that context, don't, don't uh, feel self-conscious about it. It's fascinating to me that over the past decade, based on what you're saying and from my own read of you, you've engaged in a, a period of self-reflection, in, uh, self introspection, perhaps uh, contemplating what to be selfless mm -hmm. in modern society even means. At the same time, you are probably, arguably, going back to one of your least mature periods, the late <laughs> 80s and early, and early yeah. 90s. I'm not saying mature like no, no. you're crass, but, but, but intellectually, yeah. emotionally, For you sure. were a kid. And yeah. so this swirl of I'm going to be uh, you know, I'm entering my fifth decade. I am a mature, almost elder statesman of hip-hop culture, and yet I'm going to draw power from what I've learned, the wisdom, yeah. my sense of what how the world is, but I'm also going to go back to what really initially got me juiced mm -hmm. on this stuff. 
So yeah. that's just a maybe that's a midlife thing that I've just struck upon. Do you have any insight as to like why this circle is in in play? Um, yeah. So the other part of it, I guess, is that in addition to my record collection of other people's music, I also at a certain point, I, I guess I didn't have to, but I did go through my own. And this was after, you know, taking a little bit of a breather, a little bit of time away. And I guess I just sort of sat and went through, listened to everything. And I think I also decided like, okay, I got a lot of this stuff on DAT tapes, ADATs, which is even worse. And in some cases, just cassettes. And I thought, this stuff is rotting physically. I better digitize this stuff. So I kind of went on a bit of a thing to to digitize uh, a lot of my old stuff. And what I realized was that kind of looking back in retrospect, I really liked what I was doing in 95, 96 and basically hated everything else. I didn't like the stuff that came before it very much and uh, almost nothing that came after it. Interesting. Yeah. And so I thought, man, I just want to make more of that. I want to get back to the energy of 95, 96, um, but it wasn't as simple as that because I didn't want to make music that sounded like 95, 96. I wanted to go back further because of all the other stuff that was going on with my hip hop, um, you know, kind of falling in love all over again. Mm. But there was the energy, like just like the dumb, I don't know what the hell I'm doing and I have tons and tons of energy and I'm like screaming into the microphone but of all the stuff I listened to, it was like, oh, man, I was really on to something there for this brief period, like a matter of months. I was really on to something. Listening to it now is like, that's the best stuff. That was the most exciting stuff and where the energy was the strongest. So I thought, how do I get that back? How do I tap into that energy of who I was when I guess I would have been, you know, 23, 24 years old? Creatively, I basically assessed that I was kind of at a peak then. So I thought, yeah, you need to kind of, you know, do your thing and somehow do it as the 23 year old version of yourself. So, and you're talking with the beats, with the rhymes, whatever, all of it, kind of all of it. Yep. And, um, but I will say that what I was doing on the mic in particular. Okay. Yeah. I really liked my voice and that's something I had struggled with a lot all through my career. I emailed you once we were processing Super Dope here in my house, and my wife Michelle and I are huge fans of yours and have followed all your records the best we can, keep up with all of the stuff you put out. And she remarked, "Yeah, uh, as we played Super Dope, this is rich. Like his voice sounds different, right?" And I and I emailed you, I think, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, I emailed you yeah. to be like, "Hey, Rich, just a weird, interesting comment." Like she's like, "Is this old? Is this like young, Rich?" Right. And do you remember what you told me? Um not exactly, but I mean I <laughs> I know the the answer. <laughs> Sorry. So, Sorry. Um, this is not an interrogation. You're no, not, no, I, uh, I, I know, but so I I wouldn't be able to tell you verbatim, but yeah. um I can remember, you know, really clearly maybe a, like a year or two after I signed my record deal with Warner. I had sort of graduated past recording on a 4 track. And now I'm kind of in a bigger studio and the fidelity is so much better. I'm really confronted with how my voice sounds and was really struggling with it. 
Yeah. And I was trying to figure out like, oh my God, what, how do I, how do I get something that I'm happy with? And coinciding with that time with signing the record deal, I started touring like crazy. And in the first few years of my deal, I was full on like Willie Nelson level, like 300 shows a year, super hardcore, like not off the road. You know what I mean? Like literally, I think there were two years where I didn't even have a place to live. I just stayed on the road. Yeah. And in that time shredded my voice because, yeah. and there's so much I could say about this, but you know, live, you tend to push it a little harder anyway, but then you're dealing with like bad sound checks and bad monitors and everything else. And you end up even pushing it harder. And, you know, my throat just couldn't take it very well. And so this kind of scratchiness, gruffness started to come out. And so I can remember going into the studio with, uh, you know, my guys in Halifax, Charles and, and, and my guys there. And I had, a, you know, this rough voice from being on the road. I'm like, oh, this I like because I guess it sounded less like me. And the less it sounded like me, the more happy I was with it at that time. Mm. Yeah. And so then I just made it a point. It's like, oh, I'm only going to record now when my voice is is shredded. And the more shredded it was, the more I liked it at the time. Now I'm looking back. It's like, what the hell were you thinking? It sounds terrible. <laughs> Um, it doesn't sound terrible. It's it, it, it gave it a bit of grit. And I will sure. say, I have a fond memory of reading about the Neil Young album, Silver and Gold, where his yeah. voice, he did the same thing. He's not gruff, right. but it's weathered. He yeah. came off the road and then made like a solo, more or less a solo acoustic record, or a quieter record, I should say. Mm-hmm. And his voice clearly is different, like right. the, the, the timbre and all that stuff. So I think your mentality, if you're trying to make rougher sounding music, that would have made sense on sure. some level. But maybe you're saying, why was I trying to make music that sounded particularly rough? Um, yeah, I mean, it just it just sort of went to that, you know, mostly that struggle that I think a lot of people have of, of having a hard time hearing their voice on tape. And just, yes, you know, because there's sure. that like weird th- thing, right? That there's something in the acoustics of the skull or I don't know what it is. But you're used to hearing your voice inside your own head. And then when you hear it outside, it's like, whoa, is that what I sound like? And you kind of can't help but hate it because you're used to something else. I don't know what the science is behind that. But there's something psychological going on there. And it was a a real struggle for me. And so when I had the benefit of hindsight to go back over the decades and listen to all my work, and I suppose in the process, evaluate what my voice sounded like at various stages along the way... I realized that when I was young, before I did any damage to my uh, voice, and I was, in a weird way, allowing myself to be kind of more natural than I had ever let myself be before, and then also just kind of yelling a little bit. But the truth is, Vish, like, you know... um, My voice, you know, I, I catch myself sometimes just like in, in the house, like, you know, talking with my partner or whatever. It can get, you know, kind of high and, and, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> A lot of people would probably say annoying sounding. <laughs> well, I can relate to that having a Muppet voice myself. Sometimes you're, I also, like you, are working in broadcasting and, uh, yeah. Uh, I have to edit myself yeah. a couple times a week sometimes, and I'm like, "Fuck!" Oh yeah, uh, like, but you get. I I have found I got over it. Well, that's my voice. I gotta go sure. with that. I, I I can't be someone else. So, um, no, I appreciate all that, and uh, 
I want to take us back a moment, if that's okay. Were you yeah. finished your thoughts there, though? Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah, no, that's it. I want to try to see if I can make a weird connection between you feeling pudgy or chubby <laughs> and your renewed interest in baseball. Right, right. Uh I don't know if there's a connection there. I don't know what it means for a guy in his mid to late 40s to decide he wants to get back into baseball. Uh-huh. Uh, so I need a couple of things from you here, Rich, for those who don't know. What is your actual relationship with the sport of baseball uh, and the levels to which you rose mm-hmm. in terms of maybe maybe actually going for it? Because I know yeah. a little bit about that story. Right. Uh, and then after sort of leaving it behind for some years, what does it mean for someone to say, I want to get back into it? What what level are you entering to play yeah. baseball in, in these years of your life? Can you do a bit of baseball sure. explanation for us here? So I'll kind of start in the middle there and then go back just to sure. cover everything that you just said there. But it is true that when I started playing again, what year would that have been? I want to say somewhere say between 2013 and 2015. And I was really training hard like all through the winter like every day working really hard i did get into really good shape um and so when covid came and whatever and i was concerned about falling out of shape you know that probably entered in like oh i'm in pretty good shape right now i don't want to blow this i had worked so hard to get myself into shape so there was that but anyway i started playing baseball when i was eight years old and I was thinking about this. I mentioned it to a friend just yesterday, I think it was. In my second year playing, when I was nine years old in Mount Uniac, Nova Scotia, I won the Most Improved Player Award. Um, so I got better fast. I won that award in uh, minor hockey, and yeah, I nice. always feel self-conscious about it. I mean, I must have really sucked <laughs> right. for them to give me that at the end. Yeah, you got to stink uh, at first to get that one. Y- yeah, yeah. So I, I took it, and I, I'm okay with it now. That's funny. We both won the same award. Yeah. But point being, you know, I was into it enough to put in the work to improve, and then starting when I was probably 11 or 12, I would go to this baseball camp that they had every summer in Nova Scotia. Um, it was started by a guy, older guy, who played for the St. Louis Cardinals when he was young. And um, and then they would bring up scouts and, you know, kind of pro coaches and stuff. And, uh, you know, when I first started going when I was a kid, you know, no one took any notice of me because I was just a kid. And then um, as I started to progress through my teenage years when I might have made a little more noise. There were a few years in a row there where I was injured and wasn't playing to my full capability. And then I remember going in my age 16 year and I was at full strength. And it was my really only dream to, you know, be a big league baseball player at that point in my life. And I had no plan B. Hmm. And that being the case, I saw this camp, knowing that there were scouts there, as basically potentially my ticket. Um, so this had to be it. This was basically like a, an audition um, to get my foot in the door to go down that path. I'm sorry, Rich. Did you? I, I may have missed it. Did you mention what your primary position was? No, I didn't. Uh, at the time, it was pretty much just shortstop. Okay. Yeah. And I was always a good hitter. So about halfway through the camp that year, one of the coaches came up to me, a young, a younger coach. And looking back, this was sort of a dumb thing for him to say because it would put pressure on someone. But he said, hey, man, keep going. They're watching you. 
So I knew I kind of had their attention. Um, but in my case, it was a good thing because I really worked well under pressure. So I really, yeah. after I heard that, I took it to a whole other gear. And uh, so at the end of the camp, the guy who was the star attraction was this big scout who used to be a uh, batting coach for the New York Yankees. And I think he had... Uh, scouted well for a bunch of different teams, the Phillies and the Pirates. And then I think at this time was working for the Yankees as a scout, not as a hitting coach. And his claim to fame was that he scouted Mike Schmidt, who is in the Hall of Fame now. And he also scouted John Elway, the football player for baseball. Oh, apparently he was, you know, could have could have played pro baseball, too. But anyhow, Interesting. At the end of the camp, he said, how old are you? And I said, 16. He said, so you're not finished high school. I said, no, I had one more year to go. And he said, you finish high school, come back to this camp next year, and then you're coming with me uh, to Ohio. He was the manager of the University of Toledo baseball team while working for the Yankees. And he said, we'll start working together and I'll send you on your way sort of thing. Long story short, I went back the next year. He wasn't there. He had taken a heart attack, and I was never 100% clear on if he died or not, but I never saw him again. Oh, no. I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, I'm sorry for you and for him. That's horrible. Horrible. And so for a few years, I kept playing, and in my days playing, I had won you know, championships a couple times, maybe a provincial championship, maybe just a league championship, but... That moment when you win and the last out is recorded, I think maybe it's a thing that only exists in sports. I don't know, but there is a feeling, let's just call it an elation or something, that I've never felt replicated anywhere else in in life. And it's it's a truly great, thrilling feeling. And so fast forward to more recent times. I don't want to be saying anything out of turn. This is probably okay to say. But um, my neighbor was Joe Pernice of the Pernice Brothers. Oh, I love Joe. Joe's the best. Yeah. And uh, Joe has a kid who plays ball. Oh, nice. And so going back to when the kid was, you know, small, us being neighbors, we played together, the three of us often, every day. And, nice. um, and the kids, you know, started to get good. And so eventually I was brought on to be a coach on his team when I think he was eight. Oh, cool. Nice. And when he moved up a level, I didn't move up the level with him. I kept coaching that same team. So I was just coaching kids for years. And that's how I kind of started to get back into it. And meanwhile... On our own time, I was still working with Joe's kid and getting together with Joe on an almost daily basis. And sometimes it would mean, oh, I, I can go into the cage and I'll, I'll hit a bucket of balls and stuff like that. And I, I started to kind of ramp things up myself beyond, you know, working with the eight-year-olds kind of thing. Right. And then one fateful day when I was coaching, you know, one of the kids' games, this was uh, at Christy Pitt's in Toronto. And uh, if you can recall, Vish, there are three baseball diamonds there. Yep. Yep. And so my guys were playing on one of the smaller diamonds. And on this particular day, it was on a weekend on the big diamond where the Maple Leaf team plays. They were doing a fundraiser. And as part of the festivities on the big field, they were having a home run derby. 
And I thought, I'm going to enter this because A, it'll be fun. And if I can win the thing, it's really going to inspire my kids. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I really wanted to keep them inspired. And I wanted to um, gain and keep their respect for me as a coach. Wow. Okay. Putting yourself on the line there. I needed them to see that I was good. <laughs> otherwise, they're going to stop listening to me kind of thing. Right. Okay. Interesting. So I went over to the Home Run Derby and I put on a little bit of a show. <laughs> and at the end of it, this guy named Ted came up to me and he said, hey, do you do you play? And I said, no, I coach over here, kids, but I'm not playing anywhere. And uh, he said, would you be interested in playing in a men's league out in Scarborough? And I said, That's, huh. that sounds interesting. And he said, well, why don't you come out to some practices this winter and, you know, they'll take a look at you and see you know, if, if maybe they want to take you on. And um, I knew just from experience in baseball that if you want to get on a team, pitch. Because every team needs pitching. Oh, interesting. That's the key. If you pitch, you're in. And so okay. I said, all right, well, if I'm going to, if I really want to play for this team, and I decided that I did, I better pitch um, and I better hit. And so uh, I showed up at this first kind of tryout thing. I went into the cage and I'm smacking the ball. And then I went into one of the tunnels just to, to pitch and I pitched well. I've always been able to throw hard and stuff. And long story short, okay, you're in. Now, now just to backtrack for a second, you mentioned you were a shortstop when yeah. you were a kid. Yeah. Did you pitch back then? A little, but not much. Okay. So you weren't a pitcher naturally. Okay. Got it. Not naturally, but the one thing I knew I had in my favor is that... I've always been able to throw very accurately. Hmm. So I basically felt like, yeah, I can do that. You know, no problem. I can as, pitch. As an infielder, you need that too. You yeah, kind of right, need, you need it, a strong yeah. arm and you need to be able to throw accurately. So I thought I can throw strikes at the very least. Right. So I did my thing and they said, you're in. We'd love to have you on the team. And so this was in like, you know, a men's wooden bat league in Scarborough it was like guys, I think, 28 years old plus. Okay. You could have two younger guys on your team. We're using wooden bats. It's all kind of just old school baseball. And in this particular league, it was like really for, for a guy my age, it was basically the best competition I could find. You would have a couple guys that played pro when they were younger, a bunch of guys that played college baseball, you know. Kind of, you know, and not everyone had that level of experience, but there was, there was a lot of good ball players. Nice. And so I thought, okay, I'm all in on this. I'm back, like baseball mode. Let's let's go. And I w- really worked my tail off for years. And like I said, the thing I had in the back of my head is I just want to win one more time. Mm. And so just to put a bow on this whole thing, and not to sound like I'm tooting my own horn or anything like that, but last year kind of last spring, I was contacted by this guy who wanted to invite me on a team that was going to represent Ontario at the Senior Men's Nationals for 2022. And as it turned out, they were being held in Nova Scotia, in Halifax. Hmm. And I thought, you know what? I will accept that invitation because that's going to be a great excuse to go home and see my family and stuff. Right. And so uh, I went out, I played in the tournament. Uh, the field we ended up playing on was just like a couple of miles from the house where I grew up. So all my old friends and family and cousins, and nephews, and nieces were there holding up signs and stuff. And uh, my team won and I was named MVP. 
Oh my God. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thanks, Vish. I honestly, I couldn't be more proud. Like one of the most kick-ass things of my whole life. And uh, I said, I did it. And then I walked away. I'm done. That's all I wanted so to not, do. You're, you're not playing. You're not playing now. I'm not playing this year. <laughs> and I probably won't be playing next year or I mean, ever again. I'm old now. Uh, but I did it. I did what I wanted to do. I got myself back into shape where I was basically kind of playing at my peak. In fact, I was yeah. probably playing better than I was when I was scouted. Well, that that's remarkable. And I one of the reasons I asked about that pitching question, Rich, is on your cassette uh, that came out in whatever, 1994, uh, Game Tight. Yeah. Uh, one of the choruses uh, on one of the songs, actually a few of the songs, you talk about pitching. Struck right. out the side, yo, three up and three yeah. down. I always thought you were a pitcher uh, in my head. And I thought I'd heard some narrative about that Yankees scout um, seeking out as a pitcher. So I appreciate, you know, we've had a long run, you and I. Yeah. And stories kind of change in my brain as I get older. So forgive me for assuming that. But do you understand what I'm saying? But you were kind of playing a character on that tape. Sure. Yeah. You know, and I always pitched yeah. a little bit, but I was always primarily a shortstop and. Uh, yeah. With this team that I was playing on out in, in Scarborough, I played shortstop. And, you know, I'll still play a little softball and st still play in shortstop. So it's just like yeah. it's always been my, uh, you know, position. But um, yeah. I, I will say, um, you know, despite it all that, you know, I won the MVP at Nationals last year, basically 100% on the strength of my pitching. Well, good for you. I ended up pitching in uh, every game which is bananas because that's a big workload uh, but in the week that the tournament took I gave up one hit oh my god you had a one hit that's amazing yeah it do was, they have like a do they got a, a what do you call it a speed gun do they got a do they clock in the pitches um not so much like at the games or whatever but there were times either like training or practicing I'd have the the gun and you know when I was young I could throw crazy hard I wasn't that's the one thing I wasn't doing at that level now, but probably still 80, you know. That's incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm so happy for you that you have this joy because I know how much baseball means to you. That's remarkable. I appreciate yeah. you sharing this. I'll and text I, you, I'll those... text you a, a photo later with me holding like the trophies and stuff. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Yeah. Uh, and for those who are going to start, uh, if you haven't already started digging into uh, the Buck 65 discography or anything Rich has made, you will encounter baseball. Uh, a, a lot, lot. Ba baseball players names metaphorical things it's really fun um i alluded to the fact that uh on that tape that i first encountered you one of the first things i encountered in terms of your music was that tape and, and in, in retrospect you were playing a bit of a character you took on a character for this record billy uh yeah. which i b believe came out in 2020 is that about right yeah yeah that's right yeah yeah so and I know we were. I was asking you kind of where you were and what you were doing. You mentioned the drum study records, which yeah. are interesting to me because uh, having dug into Super Dope in particular uh, and King of Drums, the drum study uh, records, the three of them, now that they're out, I realize they're the roadmap, right, to the to the to the way you you shaped uh, certainly Super Dope, yeah. Um, and so that's fascinating in itself, and I think I think we've covered it. But where I was coming from is that Billy, this record you made with Tommy, Controller 7, that to me was the first time in recent years where I'm like, oh shit, yeah. Rich is back. Right. Is that your, is that where you felt you kind of were like, hey, quietly everyone, I'm I'm back. Is that the one? Yeah. 
because the the sort of for lack of a better term drum work that I was doing that was like I said mostly centered on Instagram um I had this private account under a different name and oh, okay. so I'm building relationships with like you know Lord Finesse and uh you know producers like Buck Wild and oh wow you know like like big time you know, hip hop figures that I really looked up to, um, but who only knew me as the Instagram guy with this different name. So I was doing all this work and building these relationships, but completely out of the view of the Buck 65 world. They had no idea. And in fact, I think my following there still has no idea about my own <laughs> music past. So I've um, I, I built a whole completely just separate thing in that world and like the, you know, the two worlds have never crossed or collided. Okay. Right. And I suppose a little bit of effort has been made to kind of keep them separate. Maybe one day that'll get blown up, but so far it, it hasn't. So as far as returning to, you know, the world of, of Buck 65, publicly anyway, Billy would have been the album. And that took quite a bit of coaxing. That was, that was Tommy approaching me and saying like i want to do something with you i want to do something with you and yeah and like i said kind of with the king of drums thing i was like no 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 and then and then i said well what if what if we tried to do it like anonymously because i just kind of, i didn't really feel ready and so that's why it was first sort of released as tommy and richie present billy it didn't have the name buck 65 on it because i just i didn't want it yeah. And I, I wasn't feeling comfortable or whatever, but, um, yeah, that was him. I mean, I, I, at this point I have to give him a, a ton of credit as basically the guy who kind of pulled me kicking and screaming back into the mix a little bit. No, well, I, I, I want to thank him too. Cause, uh, it's, it's, a. Uh, I was just re-listening to it ahead of our chat and I, I just think it's fantastic. I hope people check it out. You know, there's a lot of character building in hip hop music in particular, you yourself have had many pseudonyms. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of lots of MCs uh, give themselves kind of fun and colorful names. As I was saying earlier, for Billy, you took on I think a character, and that character, uh, in, in terms of your narrative voice, seems kind of out of character for you. Uh, this is a this is a, an ex convict. They they drink, they do drugs, they gamble, they curse, yeah. they curse. Yeah. I don't remember you cursing. You were always. Uh, pretty careful there for the yeah. most part i would say uh, yeah. You, you sometimes but yeah. Yeah, this this is a, a an interesting character what was it like for you to write like your back so to speak as buck 65 yeah but you're writing for a voice i think that's other than the voice we have known as buck 65 is that a clear enough question am i on the yeah. right track yeah 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 totally so tommy who is great he's he's one of my favorite musicians of all time he's one of the few people uh who i can say uh, for my personal tastes does not have a single dud in his catalog. Yeah. For me personally, I feel like I can say that about Tommy, AKA controller seven and Rick white. And that's it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> nice. That's a really loving nod to Rick who I love. And uh, I, I love, I've, I love, as Rick you too. may know, he's been also a little reclusive and been on my show a couple of times in yeah. the last few years. And uh, yeah, I love him to death. That's very kind of you to do that. Thank you for mentioning him. It just makes me feel good. Yeah. Right. And so, um, <laughs> so, so Tommy is great. I always admired 
his work, often he's, he's a guy who likes to get conceptual. He really likes, if not, if you don't want to call it a concept album, one that has sort of a cohesive theme or maybe tells a, a broader story or however you might want to frame it. So when he talked me into the idea of he and I recording an album together, the conversation turned to, well, what's this album going to be about? And he basically made it clear, I want there to be some sort of concept, but it's up to you to kind of figure out what that is. And I just wasn't in the creative, you know, brain space to come up with anything. But the one thing that did occur to me, and I think I mentioned this to him, that I was always fascinated by that idea of Dark Side of the Moon syncing up with Alice in Wonderland, or Wizard of Oz, rather. Wizard of Oz, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I said to Tommy, what if we actually do that? It won't be like a conspiracy theory. It'll, it'll be real. Let's pick a movie and actually have our record sync up with it. And um, he's like, okay, that's an interesting idea. But then ultimately it evolved into a, a slightly different idea where it was basically like, you know how sometimes if a movie is a big hit, there'll be a novelization of it where like, instead of the movie being based on a book, they'll write the book. They'll turn have, the movie was, into a book. I was just in Cambridge to visit my parents, Cambridge, Ontario, and I have all these silly Spaceballs, the book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Adventure, adventures and Babysitting, the book. Like I yeah, just yeah, ordered yeah. from the school book order i forget what it was called a uh, scholastic whatever yeah and I, I don't know why i it's just i have all these movie books that you're right they're just yeah capitalizing on the movie and they novelize it yeah 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 yeah, yeah i totally know what you mean so the idea evolved into let's basically do that but instead of the novelization of it it'll be the albumization of <laughs> of a uh, of a movie okay and then tommy reminded me that when he and i first met Many years ago, one of the first conversations we had was about the movie Buffalo 66, which we both really loved. And so he said, oh, how about that? Why don't we just make an album that is the uh, the retelling of the story of Buffalo 66? Right. And I said, okay, okay, let's do that. So that's what we did. And then when it was finished, I thought, I wonder if this is okay. And... I've been friends with uh, Vincent Gallo for a long time. So, oh, have you? I, yeah, so I contacted him and I said, uh, you know, Vincent, I did this weird thing. Is this okay with you? I wouldn't want it to make you, uh, you know, uncomfortable or anything else. And he said, yeah, man, you know, awesome, do it. And so, and so uh, we released it. And so that's Billy. So I'm playing the character of Billy Brown, played by I see. Vincent okay. in, in the movie. And so it's just basically as 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 um, faithfully as I can, just retelling those stories. So it's not me at all. It has nothing to do with me. It's just that character he wrote. It's so strange to hear that explanation, only because earlier we were talking about how your past and your present has led you to be this sort of new version of yourself yeah and your first real entry point into presenting buck 65 was you pretending to be someone right totally yeah totally different yeah so just there's some weird stuff going on with you and um it's interesting i i don't think it's weird I, that's the wrong term i just think you're i can appreciate what you're saying though 
I think you're really thinking about your identity. You talk about the space you're taking and where you fit in and yeah. being a white guy in this culture and a culture full of, to paraphrase one of your songs, maybe too many whack people. Right. Uh, it's a it's a weird time. Yeah. And I think you're, I just appreciate that in your work, you're just trying to, I don't know if it's find your voice, but reestablish it and figure out where it's going, maybe. Is that a way of putting it? Yeah. And... Um... And then basically, on on top of that, but it's part of it, letting people, you know, meet me where I am. So I yeah. I find this place, and then I don't raise a flag or anything, saying, "Hey, I'm over here." It's just like if if you kind of stumble across me, you know, this this is where you'll find me, kind of thing. But you know, that's that's been an important part of it, kind of like we talked about at the start of our conversation. But yeah. Um, like at the uh, you're you're aware or you you put these things out and I'm sure you're seeing whatever like band camp statistics but I will tell you regardless of how that is going for you and I don't mean to be uh, uh crass <laughs> right. or or whatever but I know on social media I can see like people tweeting about how great it is to have you back and how uh a fellow I follow who uh there's a fellow on Twitter who goes by the name he's a cartoonist who goes by the name of Pixelated Boat Oh yeah He's so excited to have you back and oh, really? is, is telling everyone about your renaissance, you know. Oh, yeah, he tweets cool. about you and every time I've tweeted to say, like, I, I've been, sorry, whatever. I, I In my modest uh, realm, I say, everyone, go to this, check out Super Dope. It's, my whole family loves it. Every couple of months I was doing that and uh, he was always on it. He was always, you know, sharing it. So all this to say, I guess my question is, are you feeling that love as you've reemerged? so to speak. Um, so I will admit that I've mostly kept my head in the sand Yeah, for a variety of, of reasons, I guess primarily just because I embarrass so easily <laughs> and like even I get embarrassed by like positive things, not just negative sure, things. Sure, of course. You know? yeah. But some of it you kind of can't help but see. Uh, so the one indicator is just the sales. So, so yeah. I mean, I remember when King of Drums came out day one, I'm like, holy shit, I was not expecting this, like in terms of the Bandcamp sales. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's that's been a huge, pleasant surprise. That said, you know, generally what I have built up in the last year, year and a half is still pretty small. So the community that is there and who has discovered the music that I've been making in the last year or so from what I can see, and I'm not even trying to see it too sure. much, yeah. <laughs> but from what I can see is, is fairly small. And I base that on the numbers that I do see on Bandcamp, And then I'm, I started up a Substack a mm -hmm. while back. So I see how many subscribers I have on Substack. Sure. Yeah. And in a weird way, maybe this is naive or, or a small way to look at it, but I think I have this idea in my head that my audience now is basically my Substack subscribers, which is a thousand <laughs> people. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's the idea I have in my head, which is, is, you know, compared to where I was, um, 15 years ago or so is, is, uh, a very small, fraction sure i suppose that there's probably still some number of people 
who might be interested in what I'm doing now, but have no clue because it's been yeah. kept so quiet. So I yeah. suppose it could still grow some, but with the, with this little community now, given the way it was put together, I know it's made up of people who really want to be here. Yeah. And what I feel from those people is really nice. It is really nice. And I feel that I basically have the full support of the people because they, they want to be here. They haven't been forced to be here. They haven't been um, advertised to or, you know, no one has attempted to fool them into being here. Yeah, they no one's entrapped. Yeah, they want they, to be there. They they yeah. <laughs> they chose to be here. They want to be here. And you know, they're they're great and sometimes, you know, people do reach out to me and people can leave, you know, their comments on the Bandcamp page and of course I see those and it's all very nice. And so um yeah, you know, that's it and as as small as it is, it has been it has been very nice. And by the way, Vish, I don't know if you're noticing, but we're like we've been talking now for whatever, an hour, and I'm now starting to feel the rasp come out in my voice. I was going to I was gonna wrap it up uh, shortly. And no, I, I don't say that as like, hey, time out. <laughs> but going back to what we were talking about earlier, just yeah. if I use yeah. my voice enough, it starts to turn that way, and I'm starting to hear it now. Yeah, yeah, I can hear it a bit too. And I, I do want to let you go. I just wanted to say um, uh, to uh, uh, follow what you were saying. It's lovely to hear that, that yeah. you feel like you've found your people. Yeah. Um, you know, there's various moments on your recent records that kind of um, touch me uh, personally in a way that, like emotionally, I mean, um, there's a line on Super Dope somewhere where you say, underground is where I belong. Yeah. Um, earlier you were talking about eras as you as you reflect upon your music and your career uh, there's a King of Drums track where you rap. I'm done with all that beautiful shit. How embarrassing! Yeah. Like you're, yeah. but I'm like, well, I am, and I'm not asking you now because I do want to wrap up. But I do. I, I'm like, what is he talking about? What if you're <laughs> going back underground? What are you embarrassed about? Because I love all your work, and you've been acknowledged here in Canada with. I was reading, a, I forgot about this, like it was at some point you won Alternative Album of the Year, yeah, a, yeah. a Juno Award for Alternative Album of the Year in Canada. Which seems sort of perfect. Like I don't know how to classify right buck sixty five. So we're just going to say whatever. We don't even know what this term means. Yeah. Anyway, you've had such a remarkable career. You've changed a lot of people and a lot of things. And um, I think you're quietly coming back. It's a shrewd move, probably. It speaks to what you're saying about not taking up too much space, not forcing yourself down people's throats right now. Yeah. So I commend you for it and. Again, I don't know of an interview you've done in the last little while. Have, do you know when the last time you did one of these kinds of things? I don't know, eight years ago, maybe? What a touching... I'm touched. I, I just want to say thank you so much for making time for me. Uh, Only you, Anytime. <laughs> Seriously, man. I mean, <laughs> over these last bunch of years, I've said no to hundreds. Yeah. And so, you know... There was a little part of me that was even like, ah, you know, I'm kind of breaking my own rule here, but Vish is the homie. So I guess I'll just sort of also say at the end here that there is that part of me that almost feels like a apologetic. I'm here. I am. I'm taking up a little bit of space right here, right now. And 
when I was upstairs before I came down here, I, I had a moment there where I, you know, broke out into the sweats a little bit, like, oh, God, you know, first of all, I haven't done this in a long time. And second, why, you know, why am I doing this? You know, and what, you know, but, but here we are. And it is really good not only to talk to you, but uh, for the benefit of those listening right now, uh, Vish and I are on Zoom. I'm looking at your face. It's so nice to see you. You know, you're yeah. seeing your face makes me happy. And um, just to, to, to touch quickly on what you were just saying, you know, reevaluating my catalog a few years ago was a strange and, as we talked about earlier, inspiring, but also yeah. a little bit of a painful thing for me. And I like to think that I did everything I ever did through the years with like a lot of care. And I always wanted to make the music I was making good. And I think I benefited very strongly from surrounding myself with um, some very talented people, uh, Charles Austin in particular, who was my right-hand man through all the Warner years. Um, but I look back and the way I see it now with this benefit of hindsight is that, I don't know, it just it seems to me that I was a little bit lost for a while and just sort of unsure, like, what am I even supposed to be doing right now? And I think maybe I started out with a plan that either I lost track of or kind of didn't work out at a certain point. And so I was left like, oh, shit, well, what do I do now? And so even though I think the quality of the work was always high, and this, again, is me just trying to give full credit to the extremely talented Charles Austin, but it was always my hands on the wheel. And sometimes I find myself wishing I had made other you know, creative choices or that I hadn't given up on, on certain other ones. And to be, I guess, perfectly frank, I regret signing the record deal. I wish I had never done that. I feel like you're talking about, and I don't mean to interrupt you here. I feel like being on a major label coming from where you come from. Yeah. An artist like yourself who come from where you, the kind of realm milieu you come from, you can't help but have an identity crisis when you're on yeah. a major label. Who yeah. am I? And, and I will say really quick, I don't know if this. I don't mean to sound disparaging of you or anyone else. Did you ever feel like you were on a when you were on that label, Warner Records? You were getting away with something. Do you ever have that little bit of like, yeah, okay, I, I, <laughs> yeah, if like you want to work with me? Like I make weird music, man. Like totally. Uh, did you ever? Yeah, I, I thought you know you you guys screwed up here. You really made a mistake. You're going to regret this. <laughs> um, but you know, here we go. And on top of that, at the time when I, you know, decided to go for it, this was immediately on the heels of like the Anticon era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this is coming hot on the heels of basically historically making some of the most challenging hip hop ever. Not just me, but like the guys on that label and being part of this movement that was happening at the end of the 90s. And... um I believed in it so strongly and I, you know, felt that it deserved more than it was getting. It, it deserved to be bigger. It deserved to be heard by more people. The artists in that world, I felt, deserved to be more successful. And so there was a part of me who thought, okay, I'm, I'm among or maybe even the first among my peers to even have the opportunity to be on a major label. Maybe if I do this, it will benefit all my friends and, and maybe it'll be the start of something bigger. 
Um, and I think I went into it. The first record I put out with Warner was Square, which was still a very pretty uncompromising hip hop record. And it, it didn't go that way. No one else got offered major label deals. Mm. But for younger people like me, yeah, I will say the Square record and the knowing the Anticon stuff caused people like me to dig into Anticon more. Like because sure. we knew you. Like your network, if you will, at the time, your cachet, the way you spoke of hip hop, spoke about hip hop with love, it did I will for what it's worth, uh, maybe I'm one of nobody. Maybe it was just me. <laughs> right. I'm sure people like me you did that that did work. It did work. It, I mean it, it I hope pushed a little, us underground a little bit. I yeah. hope a little bit, but I think whether I was right or wrong I was confronted at a certain point, not too long after that, where it's like, okay, maybe this isn't becoming what I hoped it would be. And I think that was partly due to changes beyond me and my control, because I think what was happening in indie hip hop just kind of started to fall apart in general anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of those labels folded and other things started happening in hip hop. And so I think I was left thinking like, oh, shit, well, what's the next move now? And I better figure something out because I just signed a major label deal. And so I just started exploring all kinds of other just crazy ter- territory. And um, like I said, I, with every decision I made, I tried, you know, to make a good one and, and like to try to kind of do good work by it, by those yeah. decisions. But looking back, you know, like I said, I almost wish in a weird sense. And in fact, this I, I was thinking about this a little bit as I was making King of Drums. I was thinking, this is what the follow-up to like language arts that I put out in 95 should have been. Right. You know, like you could basically cut out 20 years of my career and then the line would make more sense than all these weird detours that kind of happened uh, in between. So... Like I said, like the stuff I was making in the mid nineties, you know, I still like, I just really love. And I felt like that's where I was at a peak and, uh, where it's just easiest for me to make sense of what I was doing. And like I said, in that line of the, of that song, I just, this is, it, this is where it feels like I belong. This is where I'm supposed, this is my lane, you know? And yeah. so, and I'm happy to be here. And as far as I'm concerned, and I feel very, very confident in this, it's where I'm going to stay for as long as I continue to make music. And, um, you know, with this, and it's basically a, a band camp endeavor at this point, but, um, you know, the plan right now, Vish, is that between now and the spring to have, to, I, I'm working my ass off to try to finish three albums between now and March. Holy oh, wait, no, Lord. That's or is amazing. it four? One's done. Uh, no, four. One of them is done. One I'm probably about halfway through, and then when the one I'm working on now is done, two more that I'm trying to finish by March, and then there could be like, I don't know what happens after that. Maybe a break, maybe not. But uh, you know, the floodgates have opened. There's tons yeah. of stuff going on, and uh, it's all like it's it's coming. There's a lot more coming. This is for like beats and rhymes records. Yeah, like you're gonna. Yeah, that's amazing. That's incredible. Well. I'm very happy for you, and I want you to rest your 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 voice uh, in a moment. <laughs> but thanks for that little uh, update about the look ahead. Other, f- you mentioned that this is a band camp endeavor. Are there physical releases? Uh, I have Billy. Uh, I don't. I feel like I ordered King. Was King of Drums pressed on vinyl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah then I either 
I'm blanking on whether I have it in a pile or if it should be on its way to me. I don't remember. But is there a super dope yes. uh, release? Or, a, yeah. bo- a box of super dope showed up at the house just last week. Oh. Okay. So you'll have that soon. And um, if you don't have King of Drums for whatever reason, I'll get one to you because I have a little box right oh. behind me here. Okay. Thank and, you. Um, and so, yeah, I do have this, this small label in California that's been helping out and they've been, yeah. they've been very good to me and in, in sort of meeting me where I am with what I need to be doing right now. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so yeah, there, you know, okay. and, and we've done cassettes and, you know, CDs, all the crazy stuff. We're working on a thing right now. Well, I guess this hasn't been announced, but there's, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's stuff going on and there'll be okay, physical okay. and, and even special editions of things in the, in the works. So, yeah. Oh, amazing. Okay, that's great. So you've been a little low-key about your web presence beyond Bandcamp. If people want to learn more about you these days, where would you like to send them? I think probably the best and easiest bit of info would just be to say go to the Bandcamp page, because if there's new music, it'll pop up there. But in my bio on my Bandcamp page, there's a link to my uh, Substack. Okay. And I, at this point, generally update the Substack every two weeks. I had been kind of, um, you know, going through, not reviewing per se, but just sort of reflecting back on my, on my catalog and then generally kind of where I'm at and updating new things uh, along the way. But like I said, there's a link to that on the Bandcamp. So in an effort to not overload anyone with uh, information, I would just say, yeah, go to the band camp and then that'll okay. kind of direct you anywhere else you need to go. Just so you're aware, Rich, I'll link to both those, at least okay. the band camp and the Substack in the show notes. So anyone listening, just click on those things and uh, please uh, check out, make your life better. Listen to Buck 65. Let me just say that to anyone hey. listening. I'll say that because it means a lot to me and my family and it's meant a lot to me for a long time. Uh, Rich, if we can go out on a recent song of yours mm-hmm. from many of the releases we've been talking about, I wonder if you can pick one and tell us why it came to mind. Huh. Um, let me think about this for a sec. I kind of, or maybe I do. Let me see if I have my... I want to point out to people uh, that um, in addition to Super Dope, I discovered uh, a few weeks ago this 14 karat gold uh, addendum. So there's just lots of fun stuff on uh, Rich on your Bandcamp page that I want to uh, remind people about. But if there's anything in particular, let let us know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just oh yeah, I didn't even title any of the songs on King of Drums, so that won't do me any good. I'm looking at a list that just says Part <laughs> One through Part 21. I don't know what any of that means. I learned you know, my lesson. I, uh, I, I added it to my library, and it says part A, yeah. B, C, D, and then it stops at U. Why does King of Drums stop at part U instead of going all the way to the end of the alphabet? Yeah, that's just probably as far as I made it, I guess. But <laughs> There's no significance? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no significance. Okay, so let me see here. I'm looking at the track list now for Super Dope. I'm going to say... I'm choosing. I'm kind of thinking between two here. I think sure. what I'll say is a song called "A Gift from the Sky" mm-hmm. from Super Dope, because admittedly, and in the context of our conversation, anyone who hasn't heard what I've been up to the last couple of years may get the idea that it sounds quite different from, you know, say my last couple of records for Warner. 
a gift from the sky is maybe the closest thing like that that might look even vaguely familiar to you know where I was mm-hmm. um and it's just one I remember when I was making it thinking like you know oh if I was releasing sig- uh, singles this would probably be the single for this record it just like it just sort of kind of has that energy a- about it and it's kind of catchy I suppose in a way Mm. And um, it, it just kind of has this this lightness to it, but at the same time, I'm ripping it, and I really love the beat and the drums <laughs> on it. And um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's a song I really like from that album. I was thinking possibly about a song, if I'm re- remembering correctly, called "Endless Counterattack," which I was so proud of when I made it because I really challenged myself to make a song where the where the time signature keeps changing um which is tricky to do i've done songs that were not in 4/4 but it was just steady in that time signature for the whole song this one it keeps changing and i right. wanted to challenge myself to change my flow every time you know the the time signature changed and so it was sort of one of the most difficult you know, kind of technical challenges I had ever given myself. And I was really, really happy with the results. It's like, I did it. And in some cases, I almost felt like I did too good of a job because the the flow and, and the transition between the parts is almost so seamless that I wondered, like, will people even notice that the, the time signature just changed there? Yeah, yeah. Especially, like, near the beginning... It goes from three four to four four, and when it goes to four four, it means like that the tempo picks up. But it's like it's so s- smooth, you ha- you hardly. It know is it. smooth, but it's an erratic, yeah, experience. I will say that. <laughs> but that said, it's also perhaps like the least accessible song on the album because it's just a very very hardcore exercise in like you know rapping and and stuff. And uh, I remember. This is so weird, but the day I recorded that, I caught a guy taking a whiz on the side of my house. Oh, my God. And I was really upset about it. And I came back in right after that and recorded the turntable parts for it. And you can really hear the anger. <laughs> uh, I, I really channeled it through uh, the the turntable, and I was happy because I was like, "Holy mackerel, that came out really good!" Um, but uh, you know, the aggression is there. I really, I really took it out there. So I was really happy technically with what I pulled off on that song, even though it's just like probably no one's favorite song on the album, only mine. It's just like is that the one that ends with the uh, clap your hands, like the the guys. Uh Asking the crowd to say ho and all that stuff. Is that that song? Or, or is that the next track? I can't remember. Or am I even... It's I'm the sorry, one, I'm foggy. It's the one that starts. It's ridiculous. There's a clip from a movie, and the guy says, First, I'm going to break your arms, and then I'm going to break your legs. <laughs> And then it, and then it just kind of goes, and then it goes from there. I forget how yeah, it ends. Right. It, it might. Uh, it's ridiculous, but... Okay, sorry about that. I, I didn't mean to muddle things further, but my daughter, uh, maybe it's, I'm going to look at it up right now, but she really always asked me to play, uh, I thought it was that song. Anyway, I don't remember, but she 
Anyway, my kids like the songs. I'm blanking on the titles. I'm That's sorry. Right. I'm, usually dri- I'm usually driving when they're asking me. Yeah. So should we go with uh, Endless... What are we doing here? Are we going for... You said a gift from the sky, but should we go with Endless Counterattack? Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess I had a lot to say about it, didn't I? You did. I think I'm thinking of train music, by the way. My daughter always asks for train music. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can see that. But that's fine. She's not here. This isn't about her. Hey, now. Let's go with <laughs> Endless Counterattack to give people a sense of what you were going on about there. Yeah. And uh, if, this is from... from. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, if, if anyone can follow me there, they can follow me anywhere because that's, that's a yes. challenge. This is probably <laughs> me being a terrible self-promoter. Here, check no, out the, this, the most inaccessible song I've ever done. Well, I'll tell you what. At the beginning of this uh, episode, I'll play a little bit of uh, Gift from the Sky. Hey, there we go. And that'll, so people get a little flavor of that. That'll rope them in. And, yeah, and then they should look out for the physical copies of uh, Super Dope and pick one up. Yeah, exactly. I, I think. See, I'm helping you self-promote. That's okay. part of my job. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> God knows I need the help. <laughs> this is Endless Counterattack by the legendary Buck65. From one of the greatest records of the of the year, it's called Super Dope. Go check it out. But uh, here you go. Here's a here's a taste of it now. Uh, Rich, yeah. As uh, objectively as I can be, I love you. Thank you for being on my show. Thanks for this time, and I wish you the best of luck in the future. I love you too, Vish. You know, thanks for the uh, for the invitation, and uh, that was fun. You know, <laughs> I'm glad I did it. And uh, yeah. <laughs> First, I'm gonna break your arms. Ah! And I'm gonna break your legs. Ah! I'm gonna start on your face. Underground, I travel to the depths, fighting tooth and nail, a battle to the death. Kick him in the ass, smack him in the face, take it to the stage, pack him in the place, straddle in the line, picking up an axe, burning down the house, ripping up the wax, bleeding from the nose. I flow the coup de grace, certain set of skills to show him who's the boss. Who across the seven seas with weapons for a simple session? Just before I burn the city down, I ask a simple question: What time? What time? What time is it? It's, it's time to let you know who you're fucking with. Face for your face and adds max fuel to the subwoofer. Grabs the medulla, you betcha, Bula, Mabdula, the butcher. Get the picture, I'm pushing them, bashing them, check, knack, snap, and echoed. Palm smack, electrodes made to explode on contact. Next episode, review the train of thought. Grew to hate the lie, ooh, I like the rhyme. Move the bang a dong, do the sacred song. Knew the weight of lungs, rude to make them yawn. Who will take the pawn? You should make the bomb till the break of dawn. To a certain extent, buried in dirt and cement word How many styles can one person invent with raw sound factors? Come on, calm down, rappers and dirty dog pound trackers Attack with compound fractures and shit Suckers polishing an old brass knob Bugging out like a stone whack job Nastier than a gross fat slob Kitty's gonna say, whoa, black rob Meditate as the top rotates Violate, that's not okay Coming back with a hot showcase Lucky ass rappers got no bass Tick tock, come on, time like a Swiss clock Tick tick, a bouquet Get flowers for slick brick Gentle nudge, I'm judgmental I embody snobby thoughts Got this ungodly hobby Lock so you sloppy copies Mock them strictly sticking with the old school Lottie dotty talk a block a rock Karate chop It's the body body rock Treacherous rap madness Incarnate taking target practice Break it down, break it down, break it down Break it down, break it down Break it down, break it down Any of you suckers come to my, my, my house I'll fuck you 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ah, that Richard Fry is a hell of a storyteller. I, it was such a thrill to uh, have him on the show. Thank you so much, Rich, for uh, coming out of interview retirement, much less musical retirement. It's been such a joy, as you heard me express to him, it's been such a joy for me and my household to dig into new music by Buck 65. And uh, just unbelievable that he made uh, time for me. So thank you, Rich. And thank all of you for listening to this, the 800th episode of Creative Control. 800! 800 episodes. I mean, that's a lot when you think about it. It's all part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find a particular episode that you've heard about and you're searching for it and it's not on the platform thing that the player you use because they only go back to episode 600 or 500, whatever it is, uh, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly uh, newsletter, everything you need there is at bishkana.com. And like Creative Control on the Facebook. You can follow the show still on Twitter somehow, at vishcreative. Or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on uh, Instagram, at vishkana. I'm also on uh, Blue Sky and uh, all the TikTok. And there's a YouTube page. There's all sorts of things. Uh, that uh, related to me and my work and the show. So find me if you want to and follow me and all that kind of stuff. Also, please visit our Patreon there. It's at patreon.com slash creative control. That's where you can make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast running. It's a very modest Patreon in the grand scheme of things, but it also makes a huge difference. And I feel uh, very much supported by uh, all of you who... Uh, have the the means to support this show financially six dollars american or more a month grants you access to some exclusive content you get episodes earlier than everybody else and uh there's some bonus stuff and hey if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt i still have uh, some left if you want to get one just message me on patreon and i'll get you one while supplies last thank you so much Thanks again to the wonderful Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music. They've got locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, but you can also go onto their website and order things directly from this independent uh, record store. Learn more about them at blackbird.ca. also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and uh, Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. Uh, wonderful Ontario-based independent businesses, and they offer in-kind support for this show, and they have for a long, long time. 
So uh, a good chunk of these 800 episodes are supported by neighborhood businesses, and uh, that means a lot to me. So uh, support your neighborhood businesses and support those ones if you can, too. Thanks, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie for lending me some music uh, for this show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. Thank you once again to Rich Turfry, Buck65, Stinkin' Rich, DJ Critical. He's got all sorts of names. Manta has so much uh, to get to share some time with him. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and will listen to all his new records. And thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this show today and for potentially uh, many, many years uh, now, if you have been. Uh, I, I don't take this uh, 800th episode milestone lightly, and I couldn't do it without you. So I hope you're all well there. Thanks again for your support, and uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Before you know it, there'll be an 801st episode, I'm sure. All right. Be well. Bye for now. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.